Let's go to the Lord. Father, thank you for today to be together, opportunity to worship you, uh, spirit and truth, the privilege to hear um, truths about you that we sing and we connect our, our minds and our hearts and our bodies together to rejoice over what is true for us in Christ. Thank you for that privilege. Thank you that you attend to the needs around us, to the people around us, to the struggling uh, among us. That's all of us in some way, but we think of those who are sick today. Continue to pray for Jordan Lewis, his grandmother, as she begins chemo treatment and ask your hand to be upon her. Pray for Ryan's aunt, uh, Aunt Gail, who's dealing with uh, severe cancer, family who's lost Many lately, Lord, we pray you would be near her and their family and Ryan's father. And Lord, pray for uh, Caroline Marston. Pray for her as she struggles and deals with dementia. Pray for you to be near her. Think of my neighbor, Mary Davis, who's been in Cincinnati for two months now through chemo and treatment two-and-a-half-year-old, and her body is worn and put in a trach, and her parents are tired. I pray for Colin and Morgan, and Lord, I don't know what to pray other than you would dump your grace upon them over and over and over and strengthen them in this difficult, difficult hour. Be near to her. Would you heal? Would you heal her body? Uh, we pray um, for Stephen English as he grieves his brother Walter's passing. We pray for Lawan Humbert as she recovers from knee surgery this week. Thank you for a good report. Pray for her as she deals with a longer recovery. Would you be near to her? Would you alleviate the pain in her body? We pray for the ways you're working in this, uh, this community. We pray for this church, Westminster, that we're using their facility right now. We pray that you would guide them and lead them as you guide and lead us as we seek to come together, be with them uh, in their congregational meeting next Sunday as they make next steps towards joining us, uh, Christ Redeemer Church, and all that that entails. Would you give guidance and wisdom and direction? Lord, go before them and us and guide us along, we pray. We pray for our youth who gather this evening. Lord, thank you for the good work uh, that you're doing there. I pray that these young hearts and minds would be shaped to love what you love, to hate what you hate, to find life and joy in you. Thank you for uh, Ryan Lee and their leadership and all the, the, the young leaders, um, Jacob and Katie and Zach and Maddie, and um, there's so many that are helping. I know I missed somebody. Thank you for those that are helping. Would you give them guidance and direction to, to shape these minds and hearts to see that you are the true treasure that they would pursue, they would run after you with all that they are, Lord. Grow and be with them, our youth. Continue to pray for those in Rwanda, the team. They've been there, I think, three weeks. Thank you for those who have come back. Know those are still ministering. We pray your blessing upon them as they finish their work. Would they do good work this last week? Uh, would they labor hard? Would they serve with their hands and also with their 
their, their hearts and their words as they proclaim the good news of Jesus to those they minister to. God, now we ask that you'd meet us. We, uh, we, need, we need you. We need a fresh wind. We need a fresh word. We need uh, healing, some of us. Uh, some of us need conviction. We've, we've become apathetic. Uh, Lord, some of us need a hope. Uh, we need to dream. We need to imagine something different. We feel stuck. Lord, we believe your word is life, and so we pray that you would bring it to bear upon our hearts and minds uh, even this day. Bless us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this time the kids can be dismissed to Children's Church. Thank you. I want to say thank you to uh, Bethany Wilson. She's uh, on the piano over here filling in today. Thank you, Bethany. Did a great job. Yeah, good to have you with us. Bethany filled in before a year or so ago, and I'm glad to have her back. A few of you were tempted to raise your hands on the last song, I noticed. And I know you're able, because I saw you at the Mardi Gras parade yesterday. Some of you boxing out. I know you can do it, so uh, let it go, let it go. Uh, I came away, the, the, the event was great for those that made it. Um, I came away with a leprechaun uh, little pillow, that was a highlight, and then a squeaky chicken. Uh, those were kind of my big takeaways, um, but uh, fun time, it was good to be together, thank you for everyone that came and participated in that, um, certainly certainly a privilege uh, to be together. So we're in the second week of Ephesians, we started last week, actually we didn't, uh, we started two weeks ago, Scott Moore preached last week, did a great job, really appreciated that, really enjoyed that, you know it took a, took a lot of life to get to that point, so I appreciate you sharing, it was really good. So two weeks ago, we started Ephesians, so we're in the second week of Ephesians, um, and uh, I want to remind you that uh, where we are, Paul is uh, in prison, he's in house arrest, he's contained, he can't leave, he's in Rome, he's been to Ephesus, spent three years there ministering, uh, playing this church in this great city of Ephesus. Ephesus is a world-class city, it's a uh, it's diverse. Uh, it's uh, the trade uh, center between the east and the west. Uh, commerce, business, uh, things are happening. Um, lots of things uh, going on. And there's this small little minority group called Christians that are trying to find their way. And Paul's in Rome. He can't go. And so he writes in this letter. And it's unlike other letters that he writes in its scope. It is big. He presents a big view of the Lord, the cosmic Christ, we've said. Ephesus is a spiritual place. We read from Acts 19 last week. Um, it's sort of, uh, you know, not too unlike us, kind of a new agey world, but uh, with a dark twist, a very spiritual place. Uh, there are Jewish uh, itinerant uh, preachers that are trying to uh, co-opt the name of Jesus to perform exorcisms and are unsuccessful. Um, there are the silversmiths who make a ton of money. I said money? Did you hear I said that? Make a ton of money trying to build little statues, idols, to produce so that they can worship uh, the, the goddess Artemis, which is big business. Um, and Paul comes in and he disrupts their world. He says, uh, he tries to... Uh, tear down the whole industry of idol-making to Artemis, and it starts a riot. Can you imagine it'd be like, uh, you know, 
moving to Alabama and uh, pushing for a campaign to you know, end Alabama and Auburn football in the state. Uh, that wouldn't go over too well. And uh, trying to end uh, idol-making uh, uh, business in Ephesus didn't go over too well. And there's a riot, uh, and it's stirred up, and all this is happening, and, uh, and Paul has been disruptive. And now he's in, uh, in Rome, and he writes to these people that he loves, um, and he wants to encourage them and to challenge them. And in their di- diverse and hostile environment, he writes to transform their imaginations on reality. Not to give them a false reality, not to tell them something that's not true, but to actually peel back the curtain so that they see the unseen world, which is more true than even what they see before them, the brokenness and the trials and the temptations that are right in their face of this little minority group called Christians. He wants to show them that Christ is Lord of all, and in Christ... The church is a conquering church that's victorious. I think that's the theme of this book. And so he begins with this really great passage, uh, verses 3 to 14. Would you stand as we read this together? I I want you to notice as we read it just uh, how Paul gets carried away, okay? See if if you've gotten carried away before. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is God's very word. You may be seated. Um, First thing I want you to see is the uncontainable nature of praise. He's in prison. He's going to write. He's going to, I think the thesis is the next passage we're going to get to. Uh, Christ's victory over the forces of evil. But he begins with this long prayer. This is a, a, a Jewish prayer formula that Paul takes up. And he begins to go and he keeps going and going and going. Verse 3 is the summary of the whole passage 3 through 14. This is what he wants to say. He says, Blessed or or praised be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's the point. Verses 4 through 14, he explains the reason. So God in Christ has blessed us, and so now Paul is blessing him for the ways he has blessed us, and he's going to elaborate on that. Verses 4 through 14. Bless, God, may you be blessed. 
the ways that you have blessed us. Now, high school, college kids, um, you can't get away with what Paul gets away with here. Um, the reason we read all this, and we won't cover all of it today, but verses 3 through 14 is one sentence in Greek. One sentence, right? He starts um, and he keeps going. Now, if you're going to apply, you know, uh, apply for college entrance exam and you got to write an admissions essay, I think Bailey, she's not here, she, Bailey did that, uh, you know, and she's going to write it and they're... Uh, they want you to tell us about yourself or tell us about something. And imagine the whole first page, single space, typed, one sentence, you know, 25 commas, 20 uh, dependent uh, clauses, subordinate clauses. Um, you're not getting in, right? You're not getting in. They're not going to take you because that's not good. Uh, it's not good grammar. Uh, it's not good writing. It's not how you do it. But Paul gets away with it. One sentence. If you're in a romantic relationship and, uh, and you write, my wife just read, if filled in here in the moment, just read scripture. If I write her a love letter and I write and I just get going, I get excited and I'm, I'm just searching for language to express my affection and my longing and it, the, you know, the words are flowing and it's, I'm just writing and I'm writing and I'm writing. And I'm writing. It, commas, periods, it doesn't matter, right? I'm expressing my love and passion to her so eloquently. And she's, she doesn't care that there was one clause, and she's like, where's the main verb, and are these participles? She's not worried about that. She's not worried about all the commas, and she's not. She's getting the expression. Paul sort of does that. He starts writing, praise God for all the blessings in the heavenly, who chose us in him, who's redeemed us in him by his blood. All those, we put periods in English, but there are no periods, they're just commas. He just gets going and going and going. Praise the Father for the blessings, the profound, eternal implications of the blessings, Paul cannot contain himself. Paul in prison, writing to a young and fragile church in a hostile world, and he starts by giving them words of praise. You see, praise, uh, this uncontainable praise, um, praise is not... Uh, um, I would say, praise is, uh, is, 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 is missional in some ways, isn't it? When Paul prays, uh, when we sing praises and we pray to the Lord, there's a way in which by proclaiming the victory, proclaiming what's in Christ, we're pushing back the darkness. He's about to talk about the dark forces in the world and the things they're dealing with and what Ephesus is like. But he begins by declaring the triumphant victory in Christ over the darkness. He says, in the heavenly places, that Paul says that five times in this letter, in the heavenly places there's this cosmic battle behind the scenes where we're with Christ, but the evil forces are around, the principalities, but Christ oversees all of it. And he begins his letter by declaring praise. Praise pushes back darkness. It's not, it's not useless. It's not empty words. It's uh, missional. Uh, it's it's uh, edifying. One of the things about this praise you noticed is that it's Trinitarian. Um, you can see it in this verse 3, but you can see it throughout the whole passage. Blessed be the God and Father, right? 
our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on to talk about the purpose of his will according to his counsel. The Father, he praises the Father. God purposed from eternity past salvation. And he goes to Jesus, who's the Lord. And he's Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, who is chosen to accomplish salvation. He praises Jesus in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Over 30 times in this book, it says we're in Christ, or in him, or in the beloved. And then it says here in verse 3, with every spiritual blessing, literally the blessings of the Spirit, we'll see later in this passage, he talks about the Holy Spirit sealing us, guaranteeing here. But we have all these blessings in the Spirit. Paul praises Father, Son, and Spirit. What does that tell us about this praise? God's all in, right? God's all in in salvation. There's no divided Godhead. There's no, it wasn't plan B. God from eternity has purposed blessing for his people and Paul is praising him for it and he just keeps going and going and going and going and going. It's a total, complete effort. In a second, we're going to spell out the blessings, but I want to start with just seeing the passion of the praise. Do, do, do we recount, do we know, do we stop, do we reflect upon what God has done for us? All three persons, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. Paul does. Paul's, he's got some time on his hands in prison. He's got a church that's in a hostile world. I don't know if they're going to make it. And he starts with praise. This isn't a dry lecture. Paul's emotional. It's not stuffy theology. He begins with praise. 4 through 14, there are are four different uh, reasons for his praise. We're going to look at two of them today and two of them. Some of y'all are worried when I said four. We're going to look at two of them today and two of them next week. Reasons for the praise. Um, Paul integrates here. I love this. Sometimes we think about theology in this stuffy way. There's some deep theology here. We're heads, brains. Or we think about, you know, these passionate movements and this emotion. Paul, Paul integrates those, doesn't he? He's going to give us reasons, deep, deep reasons, reasons we're going to have to wrestle with in our minds but he does it from a place of passion, from heart. He's, we're, we're integrated, right? That's what sin does. Sin fragments us. It pulls apart. Paul here is demonstrating something deeply emotional for him. He got going and he couldn't stop. He couldn't contain himself. He could have just said verse 3 and gone on to the next section. But he got going to enumerate, to elaborate on all the praises. And it's deeply theological. It's deeply rational. It's praise. It's substance. It's content. So let's look at those. We're going to do two of them. First one, first reason for Paul's praise, surprisingly, maybe for us, the past blessing of election. Election. Interesting. We said praise. When we hear the word election, we're like, we get weird and kind of anxious. Like, oh, no. We have, we, but we have free will, right? <laughs> when it's, we start there. Listen to what he says in verse 4. Every spiritual blessing, even as he chose us in him... Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. 
You know, you can ask my kids, when I get passionate at dinner, I, I, I do this preaching too. Um, I get, I, you know, I say the same thing over and over. I tend to repeat myself, you know. And I, I'm saying it because I want them to respond, and they're like teenagers, so they just sit there. And I'm saying it over and over, you know. And finally, they're like, hey, Dad, we get it. You said it like four times, right? You're like, we didn't respond. I didn't know. That's what Paul does here. This said it in verse 4, chose us in him. Verse 5, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. It's like, okay, Dad, we get it. This is important. You've repeated it three times. You want us to know it. We have been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now, the million-dollar question, what in the world does that mean? Right? <laughs> um, it's difficult for all of us, certainly for us Westerners, because we really prize our individualism. We really prize our freedom. What does this mean in Pauline language? I think it means this. It means Paul reaches back in his mind to a time when only God existed. We call this eternity past. And in that pre-creation world, God did something. God purposed to bring us together with Christ. We call that union with Christ. When did that take place? It took place before the foundation of the world. Pronouns matter in our culture today. And they matter here in this text. It says, he chose us in Christ, or in him. He, God the Father, chose us in him, in Jesus. So God, in the, the mind of God, eternity past, where only God existed, pre-creation, God purposed that we, the people of God, the church, would be united to his son Jesus in him. God did that. John Stott says this, God determined to make us who did not yet exist his own children through the redeeming work of Christ, which had not taken place yet. That is what he did. Now, if this is difficult for you, uh, you're in good company. This has been difficult for the church uh, for generations and and throughout history. Uh, So it's okay. It's something to wrestle with, uh, to, to think through. I want to give you a couple perspectives on this and let Paul help us here. I think it helps us. One of the things we learn as we study the Bible and we go through it is that um, when we face these hard things like this, because this is difficult doctrine, we say, how is the author teaching us to read it, right? How, how do we read with the grain of Scripture? What's his attitude as he's, as he's teaching it or telling us? That might inform how we're supposed to respond to it, right? Do you see that? First one, Paul embraces mystery. Notice when Paul says it three times in, in what, uh, 11 verses, he's not upset. He doesn't qualify it. He's not, he's not taken back. I know this is going to be hard to hear. I don't really want to say it, but let me say the elect word. But He just says it, and it's occasion for praise. He's excited about it. He, see, he thinks it should bring worship. In fact, in verse 4, into verse 4, verse 5, he says, In love he predestined. Would you put those together? Predestined in love? We go, we're robots, we're just chosen, it's just it's done. You know? No, he, in love, the mind and heart of God, the loving one, he puts them together, right? He doesn't do it with apologies. He's not, 
not upset. He says it three times. Says it should bring worship. He also, though, he doesn't wrap it up too neatly, does he? He doesn't do what I often do. He doesn't over-explain it over and over. He says it, and he leaves it. It's true. He doesn't go on for chapters and chapters. Now he speaks about other places in more length. But he says it three times and leaves it. And he's not worried, like, oh, my gosh, the the church at Ephesus is going to fall apart. They're going to be asking all these questions about election and free will. What are they going to do? The church might fold in Ephesus. No. He, He sees this beautiful thing to worship, and he gets going, and he says it. Trust the Lord will take care of it in the hearts and minds of his people. States it. He's okay with mystery. It's okay. Paul, uh, Paul was going to kill, persecute Christians in Damascus, and the sovereign Lord struck him down with a vision. He hit the, hit the ground, right? He's okay with God's sovereignty. He, he's wrestling with that. He understands, given his own choice, he's going to go kill Christians. He certainly is not going to become the, 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 the apostle to the Gentiles if God did not intervene and act on his own behalf, right? So he's okay with it. He'll leave the mystery there. John Stott says this again. Now, everybody finds the, dif- the doctrine of election difficult. Didn't I choose God, someone says indignantly, to which we must answer, yes, indeed, we did, and freely, but only because in eternity God had first chosen you. But didn't I decide for Christ, as someone else, to which we must reply, yes, indeed, you did, and freely, but only because in eternity God had first decided for you. There's mystery. Paul's okay with mystery. First thing to see there with this blessing, past blessing of election. There's mystery. Second thing, Paul writes with purpose. What's Paul doing here in, in these, or these early verses? Remember, this letter is to th- this church in this pagan city. They're overwhelmed. They see brokenness. They see idolatry. There's challenge. There's difficulty. There's all kind of spiritual forces going on that are named. It looks like evil is winning. It doesn't look like Christ is victorious, Paul. I don't know why you're praising. Do you live in the world we live in? It doesn't look too great. And he pulls back the curtain. I want to see into eternity past. And what does he do to the church for their praise? He roots our identity in the heart and mind of God before creation. pretty certain circumstances come we get kind of iffy we're kind of fickle people we're faithful one day we're not the other he roots our identity our very heart who we are our 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 union with christ before we had a chance to mess it up before we had to perform he roots it in eternity past in him that's how secure it is in christ it's certain Outside of time and space, ruining the purpose and will of God. And that identity implies grace. If our salvation is rooted in eternity past, who's to boast? How'd you do before you were born? <laughs> it's grace. But she says like five times in this passage, according to his grace, he lavished in grace. According to grace, our identity's in the past and God is blessing It's a gracious, gracious God. He alone saves. Now, I know you're thinking this. I got problems with this, Pastor. Um, Something to wrestle with. But remember, Paul is educated. He's reasonable. If you read Romans, it's pretty challenging. 
Uh, he's an expert in the law. This is not close your eyes, leap of faith, jump off the cliff and just believe. No. It's emotional. He's passionate. But it's thoughtful. It's reasoned. It's from the heart and the mind. He roots our identity in Christ before the foundation of the world. And he sees this as a beautiful occasion to praise. One more thing about this election. Uh, Paul's election theology leads to holiness and to mission. Holiness and to mission. The, 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 uh, the caricature and uh, the temptation is to think, well, yeah, well, fine. I mean, if, you know, if God chooses and then it doesn't matter how we live, right? You've heard this. I mean, uh, Presbyterians get the, the name uh, frozen chosen. You heard that before, you know, Reformed Calvinist type people. Um, there's, a, there's a thought there. Um, it doesn't matter. Holiness doesn't matter. If, if I'm chosen, then it doesn't matter how I live. It's sort of an excuse to sin. We can do what we want to do. You will not find that anywhere in Scripture. Nowhere. It's not how it works. When you understand the love of God for you, calling you to himself, it motivates the heart to pursue him. He says it here. It's a motivation for holiness. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Do you see that? Our choosing, our election it's for holy and blameless in Christ. Can you imagine an uh, adoptive child that was in a terrible situation um, being brought into a home where they're loved and cared for and said, well, good, I'm finally in a safe place. I can do whatever the heck I want. It doesn't matter. We know there's challenges with adoption. I know that. But the heart and the mind, of course not. It's absurd. You're overwhelmed with gratitude to be loved, to be known, to be cared for. The second way his theology plays out is it, 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 uh, it leads to mission. Um, in Pauline theology, uh, election leads to mission. We are in Christ and cr- incorporated in Christ, and Christ came on the mission to accomplish salvation, the great missionary effort, and we're in him. We're doing the same thing he does, right? Listen to these words. Uh, Timothy Gamba says this. I like this. He says, Paul does not tie the history of God's people to any national identity. Our history goes back to eternity past, where God set off on a mission to rescue God's people and make them a source of life for the world. Furthermore, he says, so we are never invited to play the who's in, who's out game. Are you doing that in your mind? Who's in? We're not invited to play the who's in, who's out game in the logic of Ephesians. The two groups of people are not the saved and the damned, the in and the out. The two groups are those whom God is transforming by his love and those to whom the first group is sent out in order to embody God's love. Did you hear that? God is calling us, chosen in Christ, to embody the love of Christ into the world to live out the drama of redemption. Abraham was chosen. That's so unfair. Can't believe he was chosen. Why was he chosen? To bless the nations, right? Through Abraham to bless. Particular for the universal. He calls us, chooses the church for the nations. That doesn't solve the problem. It's still a challenge. It's still a mystery. But Paul gives us guidance there as we think about the blessing of election. That's his first reason for praise. 
There it is. The second reason for praise, not only the past uh, blessing of uh, election, but the present blessing of adoption. Again, let's look at verses 5 to 8. Uh, see how he gets carried away again. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. We get it. We get it. Grace, love, will, purpose. You see it. Because of the past election, Paul now knows, and the Ephesians are now to know, the present blessings, we're to know the present blessings of being children of God, sons and daughters of God. And in Roman law, it was similar to law today, once the legal steps are taken, an adopted child has the same rights as a biological child, treated the same, same privileges. Now, adoption, uh, God is our father. Um, I know that's hard for many of us. I mean, um, you know, the, the fatherhood of God can be a foreign concept um, be, because even our best views, our best dads, um, don't give us what we need to see, understand God, right? Um, you know, uh, God is not a father that was, uh, you know, physic he was physically present. He was always there. He just wasn't emotionally engaged, you know. You ever heard that? You know, I mean, uh, you know, um, he was, a good, he was a good dad, but, you know, every once in a while he got really, really angry and just flopped the handle. But he was, he was a good dad. He's not like that. He's not uh, an angry, drunk father. Uh, he's not a father that left when you were a kid, took off. Um, he, he's not a father that, that died younger than you hoped, and he's not there. Um, he, he's not any of those things. Um, he's not a workaholic. He, he didn't miss all your games, you know. He, he was too busy. That's not who he is. He is to be adopted by God as a father, to be sons and daughters. He is a good father in every way. He is just and righteous in his ways. His care, his love, his discipline is perfect in every way. And so adoption, we hear adoption, some of it is numbs, like this bounces, like I, don't, I, I got no category. What does that mean? God is father. It's a good thing. We are adopted, predestined, past, adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. What do you get in the family of God? You get the Father. You can cry out to him. He cares. He hears you. He loves you. You get, uh, you get a family. Look around. You get brothers and sisters. We're a messy family, but we're family. You get people. You're not alone. You don't have to go through it alone. You're not on an island. You don't have to hide from everyone else. You can come together, and you're, you're, there are people with you. He says, uh, forgiveness of sins. No longer with God as the Father are you crippled by your sin and shame. It doesn't have the final word. It can't name you. It can't defeat you. The Father, the one with authority, has spoken over you in Christ, the cosmic Christ, and so, so shame and guilt, it cannot control you. It has no power. 
he, uh, he mixes metaphors here and he says, uh, we've been redeemed by, uh, through his blood. Um, redemption is the idea of a ransom, you know, the, the buying back. Payment has to be made. You know, there's an exchange. Something has to be paid to free the slave out. We were in bondage to sin. We were slaved and we're freed. Uh, just in December, that, uh, that WNBA, uh, Brittany Griner, remember that story? Um, she, was, uh, she, she was arrested last year, early last year in Moscow. I think she had some cannabis or something in her, her bag. And, of course, she got the appropriate nine years in, in Moscow jail for, for that, for that uh, offense. And so what happened? The government began to, to negotiate. And uh, finally, in December, December 10th, they made a one-for-one exchange uh, with Victor Boot. Some of you know that name. Um, he was called the Merchant of Death. One government official said he, was, he is one of the most dangerous people in the world. He has, oh, at one point, over 60 private jets where he distributed arms to terrorist groups around the world. Now, that doesn't make us feel too comfortable in Homeland Security, right? We're a little bit nervous. But if you're Brittany Griner, you should feel pretty loved, right? We just made a deal to let go of this person we had in custody because we wanted you to come home, right? right? The exchange was made. It was a ransom. They had demands, and we did it. Um, when you question your value and your worth before God, when you, when you wrestle with your identity, do you realize... <laughs> The Holy One, the Son of God, was given his blood shed to bring you to him. That in Christ, God put, the Father put the two of us together, us, the people of God, with Christ. It was a ransom paid, not to, not to evil, but to satisfy the wrath of God. The blood of Christ was shed that you and I would belong, would be his. Think on that for a little bit, right? It's amazing. It's an amazing concept. I love this. We'll, we'll wrap up. He says, uh, he says um, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us with all wisdom and insight. I mean, Paul just gets, Paul's like, look, it's, it's grace, it's riches, it's blessing. He uses the same, he's looking for words and phrases. It's God, his love towards you is not stingy. Some of us think, yeah, okay, I'm adopted. I got that here. But we think more like um, God tolerates us than loves us, right? We're, we're like, well, I'm kind of the black sheep of my family, you know. I'm kind of, I, I just made it in. It's not how God sees us. Uh, when I was at uh, South playing baseball, I, uh, I started uh, some the first couple years and then uh, quickly was moved to a backup player. And I uh, always say I watched more baseball than I played in college and I uh, uh, became a role player. And it, as soon as you went from a starter to backup, uh, coaches, fans, players treated you very differently. At one point, you were on top, man. Coaches getting me attention, and you become a backup. I could have missed the bus, and they probably wouldn't have known, right? You're, you're, you're JV, you're B-team, you're second class. That's not how it is with God. There's, there's no, uh, no B-team. There's no one here uh, that knows Christ that he is not 
uh, set his eternal affection upon. So when you wrestle with your identity and you wrestle with your purpose and you wrestle with your calling and you wrestle with your worth and your value and you're overcome, be reminded of the great links. I saw a friend yesterday on a float and um, I saw him a few years ago and uh, you know, you're, you're begging to catch a moon pie that you don't want and beads you don't want. And, and, um, but when you find someone you know in a parade, you know what they do? They come over and they just back the truck up to you and they just dump it all on you. They're like going to open the beads and they just give you the whole box. They don't take the moon pie. They just, they just lavish it. They just, that's what it means. That's what it says. He he's lavishes his grace. He's excessive. It's scandalous. It's like too much. I can't even hold it. That's God's love and affection for you in Christ as sons and daughters. And finally, he says, with wisdom and insight... God is uh, lavish, but he's not careless. He's not out of control. He's purposed. He says, I'm going to set my affection on you, and then I'm just going to overwhelm you with it. And you, and I'm just going to overwhelm you with it. He is purposed. He is, he doesn't, uh, he's not careless with you. He doesn't have buyer's remorse over anybody in this room that's in Christ. That was a bad decision. He loves us. Two reasons, two very passionate reasons Paul gives us to praise. Our identity is settled in Christ before the foundation of the world in him. Is it a mystery? It is. Do you need to wrestle with it? Yeah, you will. It's true. Scripture speaks of it. Are we called to respond? Yes, we're called to respond, to repent. We'll leave the mystery to the mind and heart of God. That's how Paul does it. We're okay with that. But God has chosen us in him. Let that be an occasion for praise. God has adopted you, sons and daughters. Let that be an occasion for praise. There should be so much humility for what God has done for us and so much confidence for what God has done for us and so much praise for what God has done for us. Now you see what Paul's doing? He's about to send the church out in this place, in this world. But before, he just soaks us. He just covers us in the, the truth of who we are in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this unbelievable word.